Welcome to Blueprint for Wealth. I'm Wayne Zell, and it's so nice to have you for another half hour of fast-paced special topics on estate and business planning, as well as our special guests that will join us later on in the show. First, a little bit about your host and sponsor, Zell Law. We're an estate and business planning law firm located in Reston, Virginia, serving the entire Washington, D.C. metropolitan area. If you'd like to know more about the estate and business planning services that we offer at Zell Law, please look us up on the web at www.zellaw.com. Or if you have a question or you'd like to request some information, please send us an email at radio at zellaw.com. And if you'd like to make an appointment, call us at 571-203-9355, extension 100. This week, we're going to talk about allocating purchase price in asset acquisitions, which is really an important concept that everybody sort of puts off until the end in a sale of a business. It is a really, really prevalent issue in the sale of non-public or private companies, and it really affects all business types, such as sole proprietorships, partnerships, LLCs, LLPs, as well as corporations. Now, the people who are really interested in this are people who are about ready to sell a business or thinking about selling a business in the future, as well as business brokers and professionals that deal in these types of issues. In the sale of a business, we're usually selling a going concern. That is, we're usually dealing with one of the following types of assets. Stock of a corporation or the sale of tangible and intangible assets of a business, which may include one of the business types I just described. When you're allocating the purchase price for a private company, the first thing you want to look at is whether the sale is going to be a stock sale or an asset sale. An asset sale frequently is a common business model for small, closely held businesses, but it's a little bit more difficult to accomplish. There are at least two commonly used definitions of asset sales. The sale of most or all of the tangible and intangible assets of the going concern, and the sale of some, all, or many of the fixed assets of the business, which is really re referred to as a liquidation of business assets. And in this scenario, the business is closed or it's about to close, and the allocation of purchase price may not be quite as important or difficult. When you're allocating purchase price to specific assets in a business acquisition transaction, it may be part science and part art. The science comes into play when you're following the rules that the Internal Revenue Service has set forth, as well as documenting the assumptions and support that were used in calculating your allocation. The art comes into play in allocating value to intangible assets that at present in most ongoing businesses are prevalent but may have limited applicability. The key points are, under Internal Revenue Code Section 1060, the reporting requirements that you have to follow using Form 8594, dealing with hard assets like tangible assets, furniture, fixtures, and inventory being a very common component, dealing with intangible assets, and the real world. What is the purchase price of the business? Then you figure out how to allocate the purchase price to the existing assets. It's important that the seller and the buyer have their tax advisors involved early on when you're allocating the purchase price. 
frequently it can become an, a, just a completely separate area of negotiation after all the terms, the price, and the conditions of the sale already have been agreed to by the buyer and the seller. Since the typical tax impact is whatever is good for the seller is bad for the buyer and vice versa, occasionally the allocation of purchase price negotiations can be as critical as the purchase price negotiations themselves. It all depends on how the seller and the buyer are going to view the allocation. In both a stock sale and a non-stock sale or an asset sale, the sale usually includes all of the assets of the business, including but not limited to the equipment and the fixtures, the leasehold, leasehold improvements, contracts and contract rights, business records, licenses, franchises, customer lists, goodwill, covenants not to compete, trade secrets and trade names, telephone numbers, supplies, work in progress, saleable and consumable inventory, and training and managing the business from the principles. A non-stock sale usually does not involve accounts receivable or bank accounts or deposits or cash that are held by the seller after the acquisition is completed. It also may exclude certain liabilities. Now, when you're doing an asset allocation in the allocating of purchase price, when a buyer is buying tangible and intangible assets from a business, whether it's from a corporation or a sole proprietor or whatever, the purchase price is usually allocated to some or all of the following components. Number one, tangible personal property, trade fixtures, furniture, equipment, computers, etc. Number two, leasehold improvements. And three, value of the lease itself, particularly if the lease is at below market rent and can be assigned to the buyer. Number four, and from the buyer's perspective, this is important as well as from the seller's perspective, it's important, the covenant not to compete, including whether or not it's even enforceable, the time and the distance of the covenant. Number five, training and transition. Six, registered vehicles, including trucks and automobiles. Number seven, liquor licenses, if you've got a business that has one. Eight, customer lists. 9. Goodwill, 10. Buildings, if there are any, and land, and 11. Inventory. The total value allocated to all of the assets has to equal the purchase price under Code Section 1060. The section also delineates specific items that are to be included in each of seven classes of assets. Now, there are states that collect sales tax on sales of tangible personal property and they may have sales tax associated with the transfer of licenses and inventory if the bulk sales rules are not complied with. So consult with your attorney on that. Tax implications. Here they are. Well, the most important thing is you look at it from the buyer's perspective and the seller's perspective. When you're selling tangible personal property, the seller says if it's held more than a year, the gains in excess of depreciation are long-term capital gain, but otherwise it's ordinary income. So it's bad to allocate more for the seller to tangible personal property. On the flip side, the buyer establishes a tax basis at whatever we allocate the purchase price to this type of asset and can depreciate these assets using IRS, perhaps, accelerated depreciation. For a lease, 
The seller says if it's held more than one year, I get long-term capital gain, which is currently at favorable rates. The buyer has to amortize that value assigned to the lease over 15 years. If there's a covenant not to compete, and here's something to be very careful of, sellers, if there's a covenant not to compete, if there's an allocation of the purchase price to that covenant, all of the income received by the seller attributable to the covenant not to compete, it's taxed as ordinary income, which is taxed at a much higher rate. The buyer, on the other hand, gets to amortize the covenant only over 15 years. Training, consulting fees. Seller, the seller, if the seller gets fees for training and consulting, it's ordinary income, it's compensation. But here's a benefit for the buyer. The buyer gets to expense such payments as they're paid. So the buyer is going to be incentivized to try to allocate some of the price that they're paying to consulting fees and training fees. In registered vehicles, the value placed on the registered vehicles, the seller says, if it's held more than a year, gains in excess of any depreciation claimed on those assets are long-term capital gain. But otherwise, if there's been depreciation, it's taxed as ordinary income. Similar to the tangible personal property, the buyer gets to establish basis and depreciate the cost of the vehicles over their life expectancies according to the IRS tables. Liquor licenses. Seller, if it's held more than a year, long-term capital gain. Buyer, it's treated like all the other intangible assets. It's amortized over 15 years. The same rule applies for customer lists, except that if you allocate more to a customer list, the seller is going to have to recognize potentially ordinary income as opposed to capital gain whereas the buyer gets to amortize it over 15 years. And last but not least, goodwill. Goodwill, long-term capital gain. Buyer amortizes over 15 years. And let me not forget buildings and land. Buildings, the buyer gets to establish a basis in it, but depreciates it over a much longer period than 15 years typically. And on land, it cannot be deducted currently or amortized, whereas the seller gets long-term capital gain. On inventory, the seller gets ordinary income to the extent that it's in excess of the tax basis, and the buyer treats it as a cost of sale when it sells the products. The key issue here is that you want to establish consistency between the seller and the buyer in reporting the allocation of the purchase price. You want to work with your tax professionals, your CPAs, your brokers, your attorneys, in these transactions to save time and money down the line. And because tax laws are changing frequently, make sure that you consult with your tax advisors before you do anything. The bottom line is, allocating the purchase price in an asset sale or in a stock sale treated as an asset sale is absolutely a critical part of the upfront deal and should be agreed upon in the letter of intent or the term sheet before you get too far down the line. And if you can't do it at the very front end, do it before you sign the definitive agreement. Don't leave it to a, as a post-closing transaction item. You're listening to Blueprint for Wealth. And by the way, if you have any questions on mergers, acquisitions, allocating your purchase price and the tax treatment, give us a call at 571-203-9355 and we'll be glad to make an appointment with you.
or send us an email to radio at zellaw.com. I'm Wayne Zell. You're listening to Blueprint for Wealth. And right after these messages, we'll have our very special guest. Stay tuned. <music> 